All right, what is up, Spotify? This is our IA podcast, episode two, where we're going to discuss term four and the aspects of term four. I am your co-host, Kevin Dagger. I am in term four, and I am an IA board member, and we also have of us. My name is Quinn Olavachi. I'm your current IA president, and I'm a term five. Give me some perspective on term four from the guy who just completed it. And with joining us tonight, also, we have a few guests with us. We're going to let them all introduce themselves. Hey, guys. So my name is Brandon Abelard. I'm also a term four medical student. Um, and I'll be giving you guys some insight from what I've seen so far and, you know, term three and term four. Hey, everybody. My name is uh, Anthony Lenza. I'm also a term four. Um, really excited for this episode. Um, looking forward to bringing some of the big changes I think happened in between switching from the di- the undergrad years to your clinical years. So I'm um, hoping you guys find it as rewarding as we find it entertaining. Hey guys, um, Emerson here. I'm also term four, um, part of IEA and uh, just really enjoy uh, getting to be here and study in person. I've really found the, the beelines to be um, of great value to me personally. Um, so definitely excited to share a little bit about that. What's up? My name's Ralph. I'm a term five student. Um, yeah, I just completed term four. It was an adventure and I'm here to provide my insight. So, yeah. Nice. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. All right. So to get us started, uh, I will never forget. This is a memory that is glued in my head when I first got here for term three in June. I was online all throughout MS1. And then I get to the island and I'm like, all right, let me go walk around campus and see what it's all about. People were super friendly. People noticed me and they're like, hey, who are you? Oh, I'm Kevin. <laughs> I met two individuals. I won't say their names. I met two individuals and they're like, hey, what term are you in? I go, I'm in term three. Oh, you're ready for term four. Not even term three. Am I ready for term four? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I got to get through term three first. They're like, oh, dude, everybody feels term four. Like 300 people feel term four. And in my, in my head, I'm like, okay. Um, do you know who you're talking to? Like, <laughs> let's slow down a little bit. You know, like everybody feels term four. That's the first thing you're going to say to someone you meet. I mean, that kind of made me realize, okay, there, there might be a negative culture around term four. And I didn't really get to appreciate it until I got to the island. I mean, of course, all throughout MS1, people always say like, oh, term four, term four. It's the toughest term. It's hard. It's hard. But I never really got to actually appreciate what people meant by when they said hard. Like, is it tough in terms of like the questions of what we're learning? I don't know. Term four starts and we're already starting off of the intimidation factor. I'm like, this is it. This is term four. Everybody says that you fail. I very rarely have heard people say good things about term four saying like, oh, it's fun. It's you're going to learn this. You're going to learn that. So the reason for this episode is just to kind of highlight what term four is, answer any questions that we can think of that can kind of just highlight what term four really actually is about. And hopefully the big takeaway from this would be that term four is really not that scary. There's a lot of good things that come out of term four. There's a lot of good um, motivations that I think students end up building within themselves to become great doctors. And I, hopefully we can highlight a lot of that. Um, so, I mean, what do you guys think about term four? What's your perspective on it so far? So um, term four essentially uh, basically is a step up from what we used to before in term one, two, and even three. Um, but I do think that it is that time frame where we're, able to level up, we're able to reach that next level of answering questions, thinking like doctors, you know, we can't forever be in that phase of, you know, just learning the basics, you know, at one point you need to learn the basics and then you use that to kind of like um, build yourself up. 
for a second year of medical school where you're actually going to learn how to apply this information in a clinical perspective. And so one of the things that we see a lot in term four is um, the introduction of B-lines, where you actually uh, get to um, sit face to face with a standardized patient to, to just kind of discuss these things, look at the clinical aspects of things. And so one thing that I do think back a lot between first, second term, and even third term, and now at the end of term four, is that I feel like I can appreciate things from a clinical perspective a lot more than before. Absolutely. Um, you know, I know we're going to kind of go into the, the nitty gritty with each uh, module for uh, term four, but just as like a like a thousand foot view. Um, I remember when I was in the army briefly, my lieutenant said that a lot of things in life, you have to see the forest and the trees. And I think that really applies to term four for the first time. Um, it's jumping to uh, integration, right? Thinking like a doctor, which if you say it that way, it should be very exciting. It's very emotional, very taxing very exciting you know we all complained about we don't care about polymerase this and rna that so then you got what you wanted here you are right you got to step up and start thinking like a doctor it's stressful but um just like the two big pillars i would say is one the early integration you have to always be thinking differentials um you know a patient's not going to come in and say i have honeycomb cysts and you know ground glass appearance here there so it starts thinking of what what does this pathology look like coming from the average person, someone who's afraid and in pain, how are they going to display that to you? Um, thinking about pharmacology all the time. Um, and as Brandon said, incorporating what you learn into Beeline and then pulling it back into lecture. And maybe if you forget something when you're talking to a patient, reassessing how you're approaching lectures in a way that re results in a practical product. And then um, just to put it, the other pillar I would say is time management. Um, you have, it's not that it's harder. It's just a term four, you're busy. So if you had a certain way of doing things in term two and term three, you have to be flexible. Your day may not always go the way it goes. And we're med students, we're neurotic, right? We have weird idiosyncrasies. So people get mad at themselves and maybe your day didn't go the way it did. And the schedule was a little bit off. You just got to roll with the punches and you have to reach rise and overcome and adapt. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Um, so Term four, in a nutshell, we have B-lines, which are basically patient interactions where uh, they teach us how to conduct physical exams, history of present illness. So you, you conduct a whole interview, essentially, and um, you practice what it's like to actually interact with a patient so that it prepares you for clinical years. So we should talk about B-line and give it the respect that it deserves. Um, Emerson, you seem to have loved B-line. What do you have to say about B-line? I have enjoyed B-line a lot. Um, I definitely have found that, you know, over year one, you're learning a lot about the way the body should work. And as physicians, you know, our main draw is the way that body goes wrong. And then that's where you're, um, you're important. You're there to put the body back together. You're there to fix the problem. And so year four has been really cool to just see the problem. And that's kind of motivating to be like, all right, this is where I become important. This is where I come in and I get to fix something. Um, and so beelines have just been really, really neat to see, um, the histories, you know, you have these people come in, you get to learn about what they do, what they like to do with their free time, what they eat and how that all is incorporated in their, um, whatever they're complaining with. And you get to kind of have an opportunity to sympathize with them and, and kind of comfort them and say, you know, it's scary to be here. And, uh, I, I'm going to do my best to take care of you. And then you get to do the physical exam, which I've, I've also enjoyed a ton of um, getting to actually like touch the patient and be like, this is where 
you know, your liver is. And if there was something wrong with that, you'd be able to feel it. Um, and I think that's something that I'm looking forward to with rotations is to be able to say, you know, I, I know what a normal liver feels like. I know what um, a normal heart sound is, and this is, this is off. Um, so I think that's, it's like a cool stepping stone to be like, all right, now I know, now I know what normal is. I've got that hands-on experience. Let's, let's now go into term five and go into rotations and build on that. Do the beelines continue on to term five? Yes. No, yes. <clears throat> yeah, you still get, you get beelines. experience in term five. You also get hospital. You get both. It's a perfect match. You know, you get a little beeline, a little hospital. But I think that's exactly what Emerson was kind of talking about. You know, you finally get to put into practice everything you've been seeing on paper for so long. So a patient's no longer like that vignette of like, oh, I have, I'm going to steal Anthony's thing. I, I no longer have like ground glass appearance. I no longer have honeycomb lungs. They're going to tell you like, hey, like I can't breathe or like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm coughing up blood. And you yourself have to put that into, you know, what does that actually mean? And now in term five, as we're all talking about, it comes to life even more because you're actually in a hospital and it's no longer a vignette. It's no longer a simulated patient. Now it's a real patient with a real experience. And what you do and how you act is actually going to affect their lives. So that's the little term five preview of, of what comes or the next evolution of Beeline from there. Yeah, and you yes. definitely get to see the abnormals and the physical exams there. Um, we've had some patients with like polyneuropathy. So they had reflex issues and, you know, someone had tactile fremitus. Uh, it was diminished or something like that. Or I, I like you're not you're able to not hear it as well. So you made yeah, them count 99. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're able to like appreciate these things from a whole new perspective. So something else I wanted to add to what Emerson was saying. So beelines. Beelines I think are one of the greatest things that we have as medical students, as second year medical students, because you have that ability to sit down with a patient and you're going to stumble a lot of birds. You're not going to know what you're talking about. You know, you're going to forget things and that's okay. This is the reason why they give us beelines every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. You know, you start off stumbling by the end of term four, you start to become really good at history taking. I'll give you guys a bit of a story. So this past weekend, um, I volunteered in one of the health fairs um, from one of the clubs in SGU. And one of the things that that entailed was sitting down with patients, um, just random people that were coming to the health fair and yeah. just doing screenings. And so I found myself, I was able to sit down, I was able to take a thorough history to the point where I was able to uncover certain things that I thought were of significance, presented it to the physician that was there with us, and it actually turned out that it was significant and we were able to tell the patient, I think you should do this, I think you should do that. And you know, now they're gonna go do that. So of course I'll never mention any names, but one of the cases was there was a female that she presented with an kind of like an uh, undiagnosed, I wouldn't say undiagnosed, but she does she had a heart condition, but we don't know, right? So it was unspecified. She couldn't tell me what it was, she couldn't tell me what medication she was taking. So when I also take, I hear she's very tacky. So I tell one of the physicians, I was like, look, she's very tacky. You know, she seems fine, but you know, what do you think is going on? And so as we kind of like keep working through it, we look at the nails, there's a lot of pallor. We look in the mouth, it's pale. We look at the palpable conjunctiva, they're pale. The physician's like, what do you think is going on? I was like, huh, this might be anemia. And so I reflected back to the history that we were taking when we asked about her last, her last menstrual cycle. And basically she stated that she had 
very heavy menstrual cycles. Now, once you go through turn four, turn five, you're going to start realizing that a lot of vignettes will tell you that there's a female that presents with heavy menstrual cycles. And so all of this kind of came rushing back to me. And I'm like, wow, this is a walking vignette. This is literally a vignette. And so these are the things that Bila are able to kind of like give us as medical students to, you know, further enrich our medical education. Dude, for sure, a hundred percent. Yeah. So with the beeline, we could talk about this all night. I just think it's something that, uh, just to add to that, and I'll keep it short. This morning, I did a board question, and I was doing questions on the abdomen, uh, well, like gastric stuff, you know, like uh, like the gastric adenocarcinoma, the stuff that we're learning now. And uh, in the vignette that I read, they mentioned in the physical exam component positive shifting donuts, and I'm like. Yeah. That's ascites. That's fluid in the abdomen. I literally just did that in Beeline the other day. They made us do the shifting donuts. I'm like, this is so cool. Like, it's a, it's a simple exam that you do where, you know, you just you palpate one side of the abdomen. And if you feel the, the impact on your opposite hand, there's fluid in the abdomen. But like the fact that I was paying attention in Beeline and I go in there with the mentality of like, this, is, this stuff is cool. Because like, this is the physical exam component of it. And like, of course, throughout MS1, they'll mention the physical exam. And then you just kind of like look for the buzzwords but then a lot of the stuff gets thrown at you and you really pick up on it. But I picked up on the shifting donuts on that board question. I'm like, this patient has ascites. And that was the only key in the vignette that led me in the direction that the uh, question writer wanted me to go to, to answer the question correctly. So being able to pick up on those little things, like the physical exam component, I think beeline in term four really helps um, elevate your process of thinking of not just looking for those buzzwords, but more so looking at how the patient will present. And Brandon hit it on the nail with like all the physical exam findings that he was finding in the patient encounter he had over this past weekend and how everything just relates back to lecture material. I think, I think it's something that it's, it's really fun. I, I have a good time with Beeline. Well, I think that's, that's the thing, right? Like is Beeline is not supposed to be punishing, right? Where um, I have a friend, I won't mention where she goes, but she goes, uh, Sabrina, if you're out there, shout out. She goes to uh, the medical school back home. This is only a year ago. Um, she was on campus for her didactic years five times. So I'm very thankful that SU has been a little more flexible with the COVID protocol because we get so much hands-on experience. And that's why Beeline is not punishing. It helps you reinforce and get a board's question right simply based on there's no teaching, there's no teacher like the experience, right? And she said uh, she um, there's a big outcry at her school because they feel underprepared for rotations. And that's something that we don't have to worry about quite as much because we have this in the trenches approach to medicine, which I'm blissfully thankful for, which again should add excitement to term four, not fear. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add on to what Kevin was saying earlier um, about Beeline and how and how uh, when you get into term four, you have all these people saying, oh, you know, term four is really hard. A lot of people fail, you know. When you have so much negativity coming your way, sometimes it's hard to stay positive. But one thing that I couldn't disagree with more is that a lot of people say that beelines are pointless and a waste of time. They're not. If you actually sit there and you pay attention and the hour and a half to two hours that you're there, right, which is not a long time, you can actually supplement a lot of the things you're learning back in lecture and better understand these things so that when you actually see a vignette and see, you know, tenderness to percussion or sorry, tenderness to palpation or um, not or like uh, hyper resonance to percussion or whatever it is that they say, you're able to appreciate more the pathology that, 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 that lies behind these, these cases. Yeah, so that's, that's beeline. Um, 
So when you enter term four, they're going to tell you that you're going to have small group every day. And that's the truth. You're going to have small group almost every day. You're going to have a beeline and then you're going to have your regular small group. That's going to coincide with the subjects that you're going to be learning in term four, which we're going to talk about next. Um, so now term four, your first module, FTCM, Foundations to Clinical Medicine, Quinn and Ralph's favorite module. <laughs> what do you guys have to say about FTCM? Go ahead, Ralph. I'll let you take it first. Now you're cutting out a little bit. Yeah, I mean. No, Ralph. Ralph is talking, but we can't hear him. Okay, here, here. So there you go. <laughs> I thought I was prepared for it, but it turns out it was one of my worst exams. I was in shock, but it's because I came with the same mentality as term three and like term two. So I was like, okay, I know the stuff for the most part. And then I took the exam and oh, I needed to know my new detail A, you know, like, so it was just, it was a train wreck. I mean, I did okay, but not to my standards. But. Yeah, so term four, term four is basically, so MS1, we go through all the basic sciences, physiology, biochemistry, anatomy, embryology. And then term four, they introduced three subjects and I call them the big three. Pathology, microbiology, and pharmacology. I do know, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, that pathology is the highest yield or at least the highest tested subject on step one. Um, I think it's like 55% of the exam, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right. So you go through all three subjects across all of term four. So you get introduced patho, farm, and micro, and FTCM, and you go through systems, which we're going to talk about as well. Uh, so FTCM is just in addition to FTM from term one, but you're going through FTM from the lens of pathology, microbiology, and farm. So it's basically a beefed up on anabolic steroids FT FTM module from term one. A little bit about what I think the key to term four is, at least from what I always preach to my friends, it really takes until after that first exam because you're going to hear all this noise. Some people are going to say it's not that bad. Some people are going to say it's awful. You're going to study different. You're going to adapt different things. But really, it doesn't take until well, once you take that first exam and you see how they ask the questions and you see how your prep matches up to the style of testing that you do, that's when you really know what term four really is. So for even everything we're saying and everything you're going to hear, Save your judgment, your own judgment, until you take that first test, because I think, you know, and I agree with Ralph, you know, me and him study together a lot. Me and him, you know, we share a lot of study uh, habits and skills. But once, you know, that first exam hit, everything changed, you know, everything kind of has to adapt from there. So uh, take what we say lightly and take what your friends say lightly, because FTCM is really where you find out yourself. And then then you can say, OK, this is going to be a a long four or five months or okay, it's not going to be as bad as, as I was saying. So I remember, I remember bumping into you and you telling me that too. I was, you were like, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. I'm like, dude, dude, drugs, drugs, farm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Quinn, how do I study farm? Bro, just on key. On key, man. <laughs> yep. I still don't use on key. Yeah. yeah. There's I hate on key. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm not I a just huge read fan the of slides. Just read the slides. That's it. <laughs> And I think that's what makes term four scary for a lot of people. Uh, Cause like you start off, Dr. Dasso comes back. He's one of my favorite professors. Um, he's a little intimidating, I think at first at FTCM cause he just comes at you hard, man. He's 
drugs, 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 and you have to know everything, adverse effects, mechanism of action, application, contraindications. And it's just, I think Brandon, um, we had our first pharmacology lecture and then you're like, did you see the drug list? And I was like, yeah, you know, we got a drug list in term two and I didn't even really look at it. I just waited to the very end to see if I have all my tracks covered, but you're like, Kathy, you have to look at the drug list. There's like 400 drugs. We're going to learn 400 drugs by the end of FTTM. And I'm like, okay, here we go with the anxiety. Fine. I'll look at the list. And yeah, it was 400 drugs. There was a lot of drugs on there, but that's just FTCM. And I think honestly, in my personal opinion, if you survive pharmacology and FTCM with Dr. Dasso and you learn, and, and I would love to talk about that too, how we adapted to learning pharmacology and how to change our routine from, all right, we're transitioning from MS1 into MS2. It's more clinical years. We're learning drugs. It should be fun because this is literally the bread and butter of being a doctor. Um, adapting to pharmacology, I think, is what's going to set the path for the rest of term four so that when they start introducing new systems with the farm and the micro and the path, you kind of already have that backbone on how you should be approaching these topics and just set you up for success. Really? So what, like, what, what have you guys done for pharmacology? I mean, like, obviously that was something, I mean, unless you just had it down packed, you're like, oh, this is easy. But how, like, how was the adaption period for you guys for pharmacology specifically? So in my personal experience, it was, it was an initial shock followed by anxiety, followed by it's not so bad. Right. And I think, I think everything in medicine, a lot of things in medicine are like that. Like you'll go into something, you'll be like, oh my God, what is this? This is so much. There's no way I'll learn this you know, followed by, oh, okay, it's not so bad. You just kind of have to go through the motions. And so the way that I personally tackle pharmacology is that I chunk it, right? So FTCM, 400, drug, 400 drugs. I'm not going to learn 400 drugs right now. It's not, it's not feasible, right? It's not, it's not really doable. However, I can say I'm going to learn 10 drugs today, right? I'm going to learn them really good. I'm going to learn the contraindications. I'm going to learn everything today. And then tomorrow I'll do another 10. And then the next day I'll do another 10. Right. And by the time 10 days go by, I've done 100 drugs. Of course, it wasn't it wasn't 400 drugs. It was actually like 197. Right. But I chunk the information. I would just chunk the information and just try to kind of like find, you know, reason it out. Um, you'd be surprised. A lot of these medications, they fall into a big category. And so, like, for example, NSAIDs, there's like 10. Right. You can just kind of chunk all of that into one and they all have pretty similar, if not same exact mechanisms of actions, you know, small variations. And, you know, that's pretty much it. So that's, that, that was my approach to pharmacology. I, I think I, uh, I have a very similar approach to Brandon. I mean, no pun intended, it really is the dose makes the medicine, right? Where you have to just take a few at a time. Uh, I would take the drug list and do the same thing um, and just kind of annotate it as I went along, which I did not do for the beginning of FTCM. And when I got to CRS, I did it as I went. So by the time I got to the end, I had been exposed to the drugs many, many times, you know, over and over. Because if you look at them all at once, it's daunting. Um, I think a big thing with pharmacology is because it's basically its own language and you're learning words that are very difficult to say. Um, I think that kind of freaks people out and they have a tendency to self-label that they're not going to learn it because the word is strange. As, as kind of rudimentary as that sounds, I think it does play into it. Um, you know, looking at the prefix and the suffix sometimes helps, right? We know that the prills are ACE inhibitors, right? And the R10s are the ARBs. That doesn't always work. But even just looking at it over and over, you know, uh, randomly asking someone behind you, your friend at Subway while you're in line, like, what's this one? What's the, what's the adverse side effect? You know, just practicing it here and there, just doing it small and 
relieving yourself of the responsibility and the expectation that you're going to know 400 drugs week one. It's not going to happen. It's, I think chunking is the way to go. Yeah. And not only that, but repetition, right? You chunk it, you do it, you don't forget about it. You just kind of talk about it with your friends, right? Your colleagues. Absolutely. So, you know, something so- I did too was uh, I, I always had drugs as one color in my notes for whatever reason. And even when you switch back to patho, don't leave pharmacology over there, right? You get to a condition, think about what could be used for this. If it, there's a direct treatment, I would put like, you know, TX treats, and then I would put the drug name. So you have to constantly be pulling it back and don't give never give yourself a break on pharmacology, just sprinkle it in through the pathology. Yeah. And another thing that I think is very key and very essential to pharmacology is doing practice questions. You know, I know a lot of people say it, but, but it really is the, the, the best thing you can do for yourself in order to, you know, know how, know if you know your pharmacology, right? Because sometimes you think you know something, but it sounds if you do practice questions that you truly um, confirm whether you know it or not. Did you yeah. guys ever use Sketchy for farm? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm no. saying. I, I, I didn't. I like Sketchy for micro and only micro. Yeah, I tried it for drugs and it's, um, <laughs> it's like too cheeky for me or something. Yeah. I found it kind of irritating. I can't it's listen to a whole big, story. Yeah. <laughs> did you use it kevin i've i've actually uh i think i tried to do sketchy once for micro and i was just like two seconds in i'm like okay, I, I can't I'm, i can't learn like this i'm, I'm sorry like i i know sketchy is it's very helpful for a lot of people um, especially for micro but sketchy to me i feel like i'm being taught like i'm a five-year-old and i just I, in my head doesn't work that way I'm, I'm i'm very i'm a very analytical thinker and I like to see things through all the way. I like to connect the dots. So when I learn about a drug, like, like Ant was saying, like, okay, if this drug is used for, you know, reducing inflammation in this particular system, and then we do patho. And the good thing about term four is that like the patho that you learn coincides with the micro that you're learning and it coincides with the pharmacology that you're learning. So all the three subjects are literally coinciding under the same system. Now in FTCM, of course, the patho is introductory. So there's really not a specific system. Same thing with micro. Micro is, it's, it's, it's very nonspecific. You're just learning the backbone of it again. Um, but then when we jump into the next system, like CRS, uh, I, I just like, I like sitting down and being like, okay, how can I get farm, micro, and PAP to go on a dinner date and be best friends for the rest of the evening and just connect the dots? So when I did sketchy for micro, I felt like there was a lot of information missing. And it took a lot more work for me to have to go in and be like, okay, well, this belongs here because I know that that works there. And I just ended up working harder with Sketchy. So I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. Not a big fan. Now that we're all talking about study systems, can I make my Anki pitch now? Or is it? It's a little- <laughs> no, it's so on- <laughs> I hate Anki. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are bringing up great points. Um, and again, everyone's going to have their own technique. And I think that's something we'll jump into when we talk about CRS is how did you evolve your study technique from, from the FTCM exam? But, you know, for anyone who knows me or anyone who I've talked to, I preach Anki. I think it's the perfect blend of what you know, Ann was talking about and what Brandon was talking about. I mean, all of us, what we're talking about, how can we consolidate this info? And, and most of all, how can we do repetition? to the point where we feel comfortable enough to do the most important thing, which is practice questions. So Anki, you know, it does everything for you, right? It's automated. Um, if you can make your own cards, that's the best way to do it. In my opinion, if you're not savvy at making your own cards, you can ask a buddy uh, who makes their own cards, or you can use those, those uh, pre-made SGU decks. But Anki is something that, you know, we get so much material. How can I 
get it into my brain, you know, how can I study it often and how can I study with ease? That's just the way that I, I did it. I can't say much about it because it's something you're either a fan of it or if you're not, and it's very polarized. You know, you say Anki to someone, they're going to give you like a, yeah, Anki's the best. They're, they're going to give you the, nah, man, get that out of my face. So honestly, um, if you're an Anki person, I think it goes well with term four. If you're not, don't force it because there's a lot of plenty of ways you can study this material. But that's my spiel. Well, I won't do a whole well, soapbox on it. <laughs> do you make your own cards or do you use like a deck? I do. Yeah, so I make my own cards. And if you were to look at how I made my cards from FCCM to DERS, you'll see the evolution of like, oh, I understand how SGU is testing us. I can adjust my cards so I learn better. You know, I'll, I'll uh, um, image occlude the complications. So every now and then I'm getting tested on the complications of a drug. Or maybe I'll occlude the biology of uh, microbes. So I'm constantly being tested on what this microbe is rather than just know its name and association. So Anki is something that if you can make your own cards, it's the best way to do it. But if you can't, you know, uh, is what it is. You I mean, know, I think it's good. I'll go ahead, Brandon. Sorry, sorry. So basically the good thing about term four is that there's not one right way to study. So sometimes you'll get people saying, oh, you do it like this, do it like this. No, that's not necessarily true. There's some people that can whiteboard and that works for them. Personally, that doesn't work for me. Right? I, I kind of lack the patience to sit there and draw this out. Um, some people do Anki. I also don't do Anki. Right? Some people sit down and watch Sketchy. Some people sit down and watch you know, Ninja Nerd or they'll watch Osmosis. And you know, there's a lot of different ways to get from point A to point C. And the beauty of it all is that there's many options for you guys to pick from. Right? It's not just Anki or just, you know, you don't have to just sit down and do Anki. You don't have to go to the whiteboard. You know, there's many things to choose from. And I think that's what term four, well, at least that's what FTCM, I think, is all about. I consider FTCM boot camp. Term four doesn't start at FTCM. It starts at CRS. FTCM is more so of like, okay, I need to change how I study. I got to look for different resources to supplement what I'm learning. So, for example, for pathology, let's, let's, let's talk about pathoma. For pharmacology, let's, let's tease Anki. Let's see if I can actually utilize Anki for for farm, but you are going to have to do flashcards for farm. I'm sorry. I mean, maybe okay, maybe not for everybody, but you need you need to figure out something that's going to help you memorize all those drugs. And then for micro, you, you're going to have to learn to see if you like Sketchy or if you like Pixarize or any other external resources that could just help amplify your your learning experience in FTCM. But I think that's what FTCM is in a nutshell. It's boot camp. It's term for clinical year boot camp. Figure out how you want to study, and if that form of studying is going to help you succeed for what comes next, CRS, which is cardio respiratory system. And I think in my opinion, that's where term four starts. Uh, it's, I, it was, I mean, the first MCQ, I got every single question wrong. <laughs> I, got, I was like, wow, okay, I gotta go, yeah, I gotta go back to the drawing board. My first MCQ, I got yeah. every single question wrong. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? I feel, you know, as you go through term four, you should be constantly evolving how you study. So like, I haven't perfected it until like term five. So like, I was like, oh, well, this didn't work. Okay, well, I should do this or do that. And, you know, eventually I found something. So like what I normally do is I like to um, divide all my, my material up. So I'll study micro one day and then like path another and drugs another day, you know, and I'll just focus on those three. And then um, sometimes I'll like fuse micro and drugs together because there won't be a lot of micro or something. And, and then when it comes to like the, 
um, what's the word, the complications for like the, the drugs, I'll type up something because I always have trouble learning those. And then I'll always look over the, um, the, the word document for those uh, complications. But I mean, this took a, a while for me to figure out, you know, no, no, I was just going to say that's pretty much how it is. You know, at term four, you're 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 evolving as a medical student. You're, you're learning new ways. A lot of people think, oh, by the time you're in term four, you should have a definitive way of studying, and that's not true. Because even till today, my study changes, my study habits change. Okay, you know, right from one module to the next, I might tweak something. I might do something a little bit different. Like this time around, what I'm doing is, you know, instead of going from patho to farm to micro. I'm starting on patho and I'm only doing patho and I'm learning all the patho and understanding it. I'm dedicating my time to it. And once I truly understand it, a lot of the times the micro will complement that, that uh, patho. The farm will complement it because they'll say, oh, someone has, you know, so-and-so bacterial infection of um, the lungs, right? How do you treat it? You treat it with this medication. We're talking about it in, in, in farm. So then when I get to farm and I start talking, you know, we start talking about those medications, now I can start writing little notes saying, oh, this is the medication that would treat condition X, you know, and that's just the way that I do. And I, and I know several other people also do. Yeah, so Ralph, and I also just gave you my MBOSS account. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Ralph, I know you, you and Quinn mentioned that, um, that, you know, FTCM was a bit of a beast. So did you notice any significant change? And I agree with Ralph that you have to always be adapting. Um, what was the biggest adaption that you, if you had one from, that module to CRS. I started taking notes. That was my biggest. <laughs> <laughs> my man took out his five star book. We cracked the code. Let's say we're done. Or I just read some Howie studies. Podcast is I just read the slides. Now I take notes. Brilliant. <laughs> You'll never meet another person who studies like this, man. From a firsthand experience, it's it's impressive. It's it's impressive. So it works. CRS, yeah, I mean, CRS, and we have with us an additional guest, uh, better late than never, Emily. Thank you for joining us. Um, perfect timing for our discussion on CRS now, cardiorespiratory system. So we'll let you take this one away. Do you have anything just to say about CRS before we dissect CRS? <laughs> yes. So this one was actually my favorite module. I think so far, um, potentially of like med school, <laughs> which I know is like not what a lot of people uh, set thought about, but um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it built a lot on like the cardio stuff that we touched on in term one. And so like knowing like the murmurs and stuff like that, it actually like came back around and like understanding why that was happening or like why these certain things happen was actually super interesting. Um, and I think this one was different from like FTCM where this is really where we like divide it up into like the pathology, the pharmacology and the micro. Um, so that was kind of interesting to group it that way. And I joined in right as Brandon was saying it, but I kind of did the same thing as I like group things together and I would knock out all the patho at once and then all the micro and do everything else in groups just to like get through there and understand it that way too. Yeah. Um, so I had a different experience. <laughs> I, I, the first MCQ for CRS, well, we started with cardio at least, and we met the, the, the pathology department for cardio, the micro department and the uh, pharmacology department. 
um, I, I went in with the mindset of like, okay, this is just a new block cardio system. We've been here before. I understand the anatomy. I understand the fizz to a certain degree. Um, I went into the MCQ. I studied the way that I always study and I got every single question wrong. And I'm like, what just happened? Um, I went home that night and I was just frustrated, you know, and, and I'm not one of those type of students that like, if I get something wrong, I'm going to laugh it off. Like I was genuinely pissed. I was, I was really mad. I went home and I was, I called my mom. I was like, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm furious. Like I got every single question wrong on that MCQ. Like how, like I study the way that I normally study. Um, and I think that was just like a, like a huge wake up call of like, all right, I need to level up. I need to change my approach and how I read these questions. And that's when I started to really appreciate, like, you have to read the whole vignette. You, you can no longer skip the vignette in term four. Um, I'm sorry, but in MS1, you were able to get away with skipping the whole vignette and just getting to the bottom sentence. Like, all right, what are you asking me? In term four, no, I learned the hard way that like, if the patient says they have nausea and vomiting, that's going to, that's going to play a role into what the answer is going to be for that question. Especially when they mention what drugs they're on, you know, back then we used to ignore that because it wasn't relevant to us, but now it is relevant. I mean, we're learning all these drugs, right? So if a drug has an adverse effect and the patient's complaining of blurry vision, we got to take into consideration the drugs that they're on. Um, same thing with the physical exam um, and the vital signs and any other lab parameters that they give you in the vignette. All those things are going to key you in to what the question writer wants you to answer on that question. And I didn't really get to fully understand that until that day of the MCQ. So that MCQ was paradoxical for me. It was a blessing in disguise because I was like, all right, I'm going to level up. And then I started approaching all the subjects differently from a more clinical aspect. And I started, I switched my mindset from like, all right, I'm no longer a student. I got to start thinking like a clinician. Um, and I know it's a little too early to say that because I'm still a student, but think about it for a second. I'm switching my mindset of being a student where I'm just like, give me what I need to know so I can move on. No, give me what I need to know so I can help my patient. What is my patient complaining about? What's their physical exam findings? What's the laboratory parameters? And what are you actually asking me in the vignette? Because now that I have all of that in a scope, I can answer your question and I can discuss it. And I feel more confident knowing that if this were a walking vignette, like if this was an actual patient, I'll be able to help them out. Um, so cardio to me, I think like after FTCM, once you start that cardio system, um, it's 50-50 for a lot of people. You're either going to thrive or you're going to crumble. And I think that all is going to boil down to like how much of a clinician you want to be, honestly. You know, I, yeah. I think I think you mentioned a good point though. With um, and as a side note, CRS was my favorite. Maybe also uh, throughout med school so far, I just I seem to love the heart. If you think of it like a pump, like especially if you've ever cleaned pools, I cleaned pools for a living when I was in high school. So <laughs> it's essentially a pump. There's nothing really else about it. So it's you look at it that way, it makes it a little easier. Um, but reading reading the vignette, um, some people don't realize that USMLE questions can have you know, red herrings, they can't have information that is purposely misleading, right? The question is leading you towards something. It's not cheating or hints, but everything has to be tight, has to be cohesive. So um, you're either going to have to, in term four, break bad habits of rushing to the question and just wanting to give me answer, and then also building good habits. You have to start um, looking at lab values. Um, I've personally tried to challenge myself to really look at the lab values and the ranges because eventually, you know, on step one, yeah, they give you the ranges, but that's going to be a time sink, right? You're going to have to be looking it up. So you're building these good habits. You're reading the question. You're understanding lab ranges if they were not to give it to you. So you, you know, you know what they are. Um, and it's also realizing that nothing you learn is in a vacuum, right? As Emily said, through those congenital um, heart defects that we learned about in term one, if you were really diligent, you can pretty much skip those lectures, the lecture maybe, 
than CRS because it's the same thing. It's very little added. So nothing we learned in a vacuum. It's all very important. Um, so that's important too. So it's building better habits in term four and starting to get um, kind of, as Kevin said, like, you just can't be lazy, you know, because I, I even feel it. I'll get towards the 140th question in the exam and I'm just trying to scan and look for the answer. And if you do that, you're going to be, you know, in, in bad shape. Yeah, literally everything becomes relevant, right? The age, the gender, the vitals, right? So what's the blood pressure? What's the pulse? What's the what's the respiratory rate? All these things are things that once didn't matter. But if you think about it, you don't go to the clinic to take your blood pressure and say, okay, dis disregard that. No, it's important because it helps you make diagnosis. And a lot of the times in the CRI, especially like the CRS module, where you're dealing with cardio, blood pressure is a very big component. Right, because if, if their blood pressure is really high, it could be a hypertensive emergency or hypertensive crisis, and it can definitely help you kind of narrow down to what the treatment plan is going to be or what could possibly be going on. Yeah, and I think the epidemiology in term four, you really start to, you really start to appreciate it a lot more. Um, I know in MS one they will mention the epidemiology, like is it common in males or is it common in women? What age group it's common in, and it doesn't really become relevant. But in term four, I think epidemiology low-key has helped me answer a lot of questions correct just by knowing that um for, especially on step like i mean i know you're not supposed to but it helps me out a lot like in term four i started doing uh i started using usmle rx i started doing their board questions and i'll look for like specific questions that pertain to the content that we're currently learning and i'm only doing it just to build the knowledge to see a different like uh perspective of how another resource would explain the content that we're learning in class. Um, and they really emphasize the epidemiology, you know, like if this disease is common in men and they mentioned that a male is coming in and they put option choices that pertain to women or anything else, like it's going to help key you in to what you actually have to answer in that question. And I think that's a good habit to have now, right? I mean, you guys that are in term five now going to the hospital, like, is that something that you guys have noticed that helps you out a lot? It does help with the standardized questions. The hospital is special because you never know what you're going to get. Um, I feel like a Forrest Gump quote right there. Um, <laughs> you know, you show up, you show up to the hospital, and let's say you're in the general ward, and you literally can get any case. Like they'll give you the bare minimum. Uh, for example, we went in, and uh, our attending said, "Oh, you know, you're going to be seeing a, a young boy. So, what are some questions you'll ask a young boy? And you can ask a young boy anything." But you go in and you find out that the boy had um, hemarthrosis. So he had a hemophilia that exacerbated and now he has uh, arthritic pain. So um, just going back to your question, the epidemiology, is, it will be nice because, you know, you can always tie it back to it. But in turn five, you kind of get anything. So uh, that's when real life epidemiology takes into place. And it's, it's random chance at that point. Yeah. Sure. And, and okay. just, just to kind of add on to a point saying, so. In terms of like the epidemiology and these kind of like statistics that tend to prevail in men versus women, um, like today I had small group and one of the things that we were talking about was gallstones, right? Manifest as right upper quadrant pain. Now, if the vignette tells you, oh, it's a 45-year-old female, you see that that's already helps lock it in because gallstones are more prevalent amongst women, right? So females in their 40s that are fertile, things like that. So these, these are kind of ways that it kind of helps. Yeah, so that's epidemiology. I mean, it definitely does help a bit with some of the questions that we'll do in class. But I think what really helps out a lot is 
um, and I think I'm gonna open up a can of worms with this one, is understanding the vocabulary of pathology. Um, the one, the one chip I have on my shoulder with the pathology that we're learning in term four is in class, they'll mention like, for example, pulmonary hematoma, and they'll say that it's a 2.5 centimeter round lesion in the lung. And then you do a question and the question will say, there is a 1.5 centimeter elliptical mass. And it's like you, like am I being tested on grammar <laughs> or am I being tested on like, you know, with, with pathology, it feels like it's a grammar exam, you know, like you're getting thrown all these words at you. And I spend a lot of my time actually looking up what these words mean. And then when I figure it out, I do questions and then they're changing up the words on me. And I don't know. I mean, pathology hasn't been a terrible subject for me all term. I've done pretty well with pathology, but I think of all the three micro pharma path, especially path, I think requires the most work to study. And it's not because it's complicating. I think it's interesting. I just think it's the vocabulary. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about path? I think that was, uh, you go ahead. I was going to just agree. I think uh, <laughs> they, they throw a lot of vocabulary at you. Although I've, I've kind of always felt that about med school in general is med school is um, defining words you don't know with words you don't know. So you just kind of <laughs> learn new words for the description for the word that you already don't know. Um, so it feels like that, you know, to the nth degree with path, this term is um, here's a bunch of words that you don't know. And then instead of giving you those words on the exam, we're going to describe them to see how well, you know, those <laughs> words you don't know. The words that you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what a oak lesion was until term five. So there you go. <laughs> I, I really felt like in particular, the worst, one for me so far was uh, was renal with that. Um, I really thought I was understanding renal. I didn't realize how much renal pathology relied solely on histology. Um, and then I did some practice questions and realized I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, so uh, <laughs> like, yeah, sure. practice questions is that that's the defense right there. Do them Absolutely. so that you get, the <laughs> get as many questions wrong before the exam as possible. For sure. I, and I think with renal, it was really important where you had to, um, you got to be careful with the way you order um, things that have umbrella terms. Um, you know, it starts off easy. You have nephrotic and nephritic. You already have, a, you know, a binary chance of getting the question right, but that's not going to be the question, right? It's going to be the subtypes. But um, I didn't order things properly at first. And then you do a couple of questions and it's literally four adjectives, a couple articles, and then the word glomerulus. And that's pretty much the <laughs> so well, well circumscribed, not circumscribed, partially circumscribed or circumferential. But it's definitely like Kevin said, you, you have to like make sure you not only do you know it, but it's like anything else, right? You know, we want to be good doctors, but we also have to be good students. So if SGU is testing us a certain way, we have to be able to know the enemy, right? And answer the way they want us to answer. And that's only going to come from practice questions. You have no idea until you see them. I just feel bad for students who may have a language barrier with pathology I, because- I can imagine. Yeah, because like my, my I'm, I mean, English is my second language. I, I learned how to speak English when I was 15. Um, and- Sometimes I see words and I'm just like, I don't even know what this word means. And I'll look up the definition of it. And then I'll be like, okay, I got it. I'll do a question and they'll switch it up on me. I'm like, okay, it's a boundary, boundary. No one knew what that word was in that, in that exam question. And we're not going to talk about specifics if we don't want to give away any, any hints or anything like that, but boundary. Like when we were talking about um, silicosis, they mentioned where you can commonly see, where patients commonly get silicosis. And they mentioned all, this, all the places, which I 
tend to forget. But then Foundry was something brand new to everybody. Now, I, I didn't even know what that meant. Um, so, I, and, and it's not just that SGU, but I also think it's with board questions. Like board questions will use uh, weird words to describe things for pathology. And I, and I think it's just pathology. It's like with micro, it's 50-50. Either you know the biology of the bug that they're testing you on, which you can answer the question on. With pharmacology, there's no, there's no trick in you. It's either you know the drug or you don't. But with pathology, it's how good is your eye and how good is your understanding of the disease? Because if they say that the disease has a lesion of like eggshell calcifications, they may not say eggshell calcifications. They're going to say sheets of calcium or a linear direction of calcium or biopharyngent under fluorescent light uh, ions in the X-ray. And, you, and all those descriptions, you have to be able to just be like, okay, those are eggshell calcifications commonly seen in uh, silicosis or something. You know, so I, I think I think that was a challenge in path. And, I, and if anything, term four is scary because of pathology. But you can make the best of it, I think, if you put major like I so I've been using AMBOS a lot for pathology. Um, because AMBOS tends to kind of dumb it down a little bit where they, they give you the definition and they show you how it presents in an X-ray or in a biopsy, and they give you um like the buzzwords like honeycomb lesions, and then they'll describe it for you. Sometimes I think our lectures are just really heavy on buzzwords and they don't really go into too much detail explaining what it actually means. Until you see a question and you're like, oh, those are the honeycomb lesions. You know, I, I think you make a really important point, too, is that um, some of the slides that SU gives you will either have one picture. Sometimes there's, there's, there's no picture. Um, but especially if you get, like, let's say the Starry Night. The one I get, I'm like, that's no Van Gogh. That doesn't look like Starry Night. So if you don't like the picture or you want more information, look it up. Because term four is the first time, too, you might be getting images that aren't directly from the lecture slides. So you have to make sure that you can recognize slightly different forms you, you want to learn that i always say you want to learn the disease not the slide right you're learning the actual disease not the pathology slide so if you see something that says like you said the honeycomb this uh, for instance we had cobblestone appearance and then we never really saw a picture so i was like let me just look it up and you're helping especially if you're a, vis a visual learner that's going to reinforce the concept so much more and help increase the chance that if you see a slightly different version your mind's not going to go blank because you were just learning the sgu slide instead of actually learning the disease yeah, I'm going to jump in here because you guys have uh, really started to mention my nemesis here, which was micro. So a lot of this path has <laughs> been talking to a lot of you guys talk about path, but for me, micro was my, my kryptonite. You know, we can talk buzzwords galore, especially when path and that's helpful. And, and buzzwords have definitely been one of my back pocket tricks to get me through to this point. But micro is one of those things where, you know, you're not going to get a lot of histo. You might not get a scan. You know, you might not get these, you know, uh, reliable buzzwords. It's really, as Kevin was saying, you know it or you don't. So uh, personally, I want to hear what you guys thought about micro. CRS, thankfully, was one of the micro, uh, I guess, uh, less micro modules. Again, kind of got more and more as you went on. RHS is more micro. There's is... I mean, you guys are going to start to see it very soon. There's oh, micros, a whole different animal. Oh, we're in it. Yeah. We're in it now. Oh, yeah, you're, you're in the forest now. We're in it now. What do you guys think of the micro? Because you got, you know, you got it easy with CRS. There's not a lot of it, thankfully. So, Quentin, I'm in the same boat you were in with micro. Micro is my nemesis. I don't know what it is about it, but all these virulence factors, the H antigen, the O antigen, the K antigen, given, I understand it better now, but First, you know, getting thrown all these things and saying, okay, we have this bacteria, we have this bacteria, we have this bacteria. 
three completely different bacteria, there's some overlap between one and the next. And it's like, okay, I got it now. But once you throw 10 more bacteria into the mix, the way that I, you know, get tripped up is that I would just kind of like, was this for this or was this for that? And then, you know, that, that was kind of my problem. That was kind of my problem. So, so I don't like Michael. <laughs> And then the difference, so you get these 10 bugs that have overlapping features, like Brandon said, and then the overlying differentiation between all the bugs is going to come down to, did the patient eat leftover rice or did they eat the cold cuts? <laughs> Watch out, man. Or were they visiting this part of the world or this part of the world? Really or did they get bit by a tick yes. or a flea? <laughs> was it cold or was it hot? I know one or thing I do is the sand. I have like a... Um, in my good notes or notability or whatever it is, I have um, like a pathology separate book that I will rewrite, like when they give us case studies um, and try to just, you know, turn the beer into a shot, like really still things down to just what exactly I need. And then whenever I do practice questions um, and once I identify the, the cause of agent, I go back to that book and just look at the whole thing. What's its gram stain? What's its shape? What's the oxid, um, the catalase status, all the different uh, agars that may be used. Um, and then especially if I get something wrong, I'll have, I have a certain color that I box things off. That's just like, this is something that you have a complete blind spot and that you keep getting wrong. So make sure you look at these boxes, you know, pre-exam. But um, I think making a little separate book for each thing gives you a little like very quick manual that you can kind of flip through and you just have to, again, it's, it's repetition. So every time you do a question, you're like, I kind of know what you call it. I get it. But you look at it and you just go through everything, lactose, fermentation, all of it. I mean, yeah. that's how I study it. I I like I make a list. So I use this app. It's called Remnote, um, where you can like it's basically like notability. And if Anki had a baby, so you can type out your notes the way you like to type them out, and then you can turn your notes into flashcards. So I'll section my notes off of like bacteria, viruses, parasites, and fungi, whatever we've been taught in that particular system. Now cardio. And CRS, the micro is a bit friendly, um, but Reno, I guess, was a bit friendly too. And I guess we'll talk about RHS in a second. Uh, but like, so like, that's how I, I need to organize. I need a backbone. Like, what are we dealing with here? What bugs are we dealing with here? What bacteria? What viruses? What fungi? What parasites? Let me learn the biology of these bugs first. Like, what, what, what are you? What do you do? How do I find you? What what agar do I need to grow you on? What are your special needs? Once I figure that part out, like, all right, this is the bio of this bug. It's gram negative, gram positive. This is the shape of it. These are its virulence factors. This is the, how the virulence factors affect the host. Um, what's, what is, what is its uh, root of transmission? Once I have that down packed, I then move on to what do you do? What, what do you cause? You know, what, what disease do you cause? What are, your, what are your clinical presentations? And then I go into the clinical presentations and I go, okay, that's E. coli, that's staph, E. cholera, whatever. Um, but I think with micro, it's special because everybody has, I've noticed that everybody I talked to, especially you guys so far, it's like everybody has their different approach of studying micro. It's, I think there's not one, one, one way approach for it. Every, you just have to find your own niche. No, to, piggy off, to, to piggyback off that, um, I think I, I also like super struggle with micro. Um, what I've been trying to do is look at it in different ways for different things. Um, so and organizing it in different ways, even for the same thing. So like what I have started to do is like making a table with three columns. The first column is like, what disease is this? And then the middle column is like, what, 
what different bugs cause it. And then each of those bugs has like another column just for like virulence factors in there. But in the same sense, if I'm putting like oxidase positive, gram negative, whatever in that middle column, I also have like another thing on the side with like mnemonics of like, okay, oxidase positives, they're this one, this one, this one, this one. So like looking at it in different ways, even to memorize like different things within micro, I think is like my, has been my plan of attack lately, but I think you guys are right. There's like no one good way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And just one of the ways that I've been kind of tackling it, because I also mentioned earlier that I was struggling a bit with it is that I like to, instead of going to the lectures first, I like to go to the first aid book because the first aid book has a great way of just getting all this information and just kind of condensing it down to this is it, this is the most important thing, this is what you need to know, right? And so once I get that down, I'm like, okay, well, I think I understand, you know, what this bug does. And so then I won't finish there. I'll go to pathoma. Well, not for not for micro, right? But sometimes for pathology, I'll go to pathoma. But for micro, go on Amboss. I'll, okay, yeah, I'll go to Amboss now too, right? <laughs> but I'll go to some of the RX and, and they have bricks. And these bricks are like 10 minute reads, 15 minute reads. And usually they're very consolidated, right? So just reading from point, you know, from the top to the bottom, 10, 15 minutes, you get all this information, you get practice questions. And so I found that, that this time around, that's helping me better understand micro. And so I think that, you know, everyone has their way, but I found, I found that that's helping me. So now moving on to RHS, I made the mistake before CRS was cardio renal, but now RHS was respiratory and hematology. Quinn, you must have by now figured out how to study for micro. What did you do in RHS for micro? <laughs> yeah. So at this point of the term, you know, you've seen FTCM. So you've seen what term five, term four is being tested on. Uh, you go through CRS, so it's kind of like a trial and error. Did my adjustments work? Well, by the time you get to RHS, you're polished, right? Like you tried your study method with CRS. Now you can apply it to RHS. But the thing is, it's flipped. Path, in my opinion, was a little lighter. Micro gets bumped up. You know, there is a whole lot more micro involvement. I know this is a little triggering for our term fours because you were talking to me. I told you there was no micro on that exam. It ended up being like oh, an entire micro exam for you guys. I, I thought um, I was going to be a microbiologist by the end of that exam. I was like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a doctor anymore. I'm a microbiologist. <laughs> Things change. Yeah, every, every term has a different, I guess, focus for their exams. But what I did for the micro, and I think that really helped, um, I would talk with a friend. And I think at this point of the term, one of the things that I was grateful for is that I was more comfortable doing more group study. And talking out loud is something that I preach because not only do you become honest with what you know and what you don't know, but vocalizing something is literally putting it into your own words. If you read something on paper and you think like, okay, I know this, well, do you really know it? And to me, that's how I got better with micro. I would whiteboard. It's the first time I actually would whiteboard seriously. Um, I talk it out loud. I work with a partner. And that was my strategy. It was something that I carried into theirs, but... Uh, I really didn't get that far until I tried it with CRS and and tried it with FTCM and and polished myself up until this point. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually something that I that I that I preach a lot too. You know, talking to yourself or talking to somebody else about the topic it it does wonders. Um, for the last the last module RHS because now we're in Um For RHS, uh, there was a time that I was sitting outside uh, Mordica, 
And one of my buddies came by and sat down. And I don't know how we got into it, but we started talking about Vicodin. We just started saying, you know, what is this bacteria? What agar do you grow it on? And within the span of 30 minutes, we went over all these microbes that I ended up reflecting on. I'm like, wow, I feel like now I truly understand, you know, a lot better, you know, what I've been reviewing, what I've been covering, because I verbalized it, I spoke it, I reasoned it out. And so that's that's definitely something I, I always recommend as well. I think it's important too, you know, a lot of people um, give some of the professors here a lot of flack without going into names. Um, not every professor can be the best professor at anything, especially for you, right? And I think that sometimes um, it's just that the way they teach it did not reach you individually. And there's not really a lot that can be do with that relationship. But again, it sings the praises of the medical school culture, the campus life, uh, the fact that science is collaborative. Right. Uh, just talking with other people in your class, they just say it's slightly different and something clicks than it would have with the professor. And that's part of the experience. And I think that uh, getting to practice questions early, getting things wrong and being OK with it, you learn so much through. Um, and like Brandon said, it's ridiculous. It's amazing how there's just these random you know, conversations of palaver while you're waiting for food somewhere or walking and you hit the exam. And the only reason why you got it right is because you had this conversation that you didn't even think was important. So it's just, it's having medicine on the mind 24 seven, especially at times when it's low speed studying, you know, when you're burnt out, that's a great way to do it. Just discuss the idea of it. And then sometimes someone will just say something and then we'll say, well, that, that's not quite how it works. And then you'll talk it out. And now it's, you know, reinforced. Right. Yeah, I think that's just, I guess that goes for every subject too, in terms for, I mean, micro, I think to just kind of summarize what we talked about so far, patho is a grammar exam. You just gotta, you just gotta be good with grammar. Understanding it is one thing. I mean, it's definitely super interesting, but I think and what you said before, really, you hit on the nail. Um, you're not memorizing the slide. You're trying to understand what's going on in the slide. And then if you have a good understanding of it, no matter how they present it, at you in a question, you'll be able to pick up on what they're talking about because that's really all it's, it's, it's disease. And I think that's part of what we, our job is as a doctor, figuring out and studying disease. And no matter what type of grammar they use, if you have a good understanding of it, you should be able to figure it out. Um, micro is just something that we have to get used to. Uh, I think now, so in RHS, with my experience with micro, um, I didn't really get to start to, I mean, I don't hate micro, but I don't love it. I definitely appreciate it. And I appreciated it in hematology. And I was like, okay, micro up to this point hasn't been that bad. I kind of figured out how I need to approach it. Um, but then hematology came around and it was like, okay, malaria. It's like, oh, I don't know why I had such a tough time understanding malaria, especially when I got questions where they were like, was it a tick? Was it a flea? Was it an ant? Was it a dog? Was it a cat? Like, ah, dude, I don't know. They all literally cause the same clinical presentation. They like all cause the same clinical presentation. There's not... There, there might be like something small of a differentiation between all of them. And I have to decide on the type of bug that bit my patient. When at the end of the day, if my patient tells me they're going to travel to an endemic area where malaria is prevalent, I'm going to tell them, hey, can you put on bug spray? I'm not going to tell them to specifically put on a repellent for ticks. Like, hey, just put on bug spray. So I don't know. I, in my head, I'm like, why, like, why is it like, especially for the bugs? Like, okay, I get it when it's meat or when it's water or when it's like a specific food, like rice, like be serious, you know, or like cold cuts, like that's something that's kind of obvious, but when it's bugs, like, dude, you're going to give the patient, you're going to tell the patient to put on insect repellent, you know? So I, I, in my head, I think that's what made micro hard, especially when it got to like the nitty gritty specifics of like what type of bug, like, okay, mosquitoes, 
great mosquitoes cause it. But then we're learning about a specific mosquito that causes this disease. And then another mosquito that causes that disease. So I kept having to redirect my, my, like my mentality when I studied micro where I would fall too deep into like, Hey, I want to be a doctor, not a microbiologist. So I think I'm going too far in terms of studying this. I need to retrace my steps. Like, all right, what am I dealing with here? I'm dealing with this bug. What does it cause? It causes this. How is it transmitted? Mosquitoes. What type of mosquito? This mosquito. Where is it from? Africa, Asia, wherever. Okay, cool. Got it. Done. Moving on. Um, yeah, it, it, it is stressful. But micro, I, I mean, at least on the, my exam experience and with the board questions that I do, micro is really not that scary. At first, it looks scary but i think in term four halfway through we all go in the beginning like oh dude farm 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 but then dr dasso he takes care of, he takes care of us with farm he 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 will throw a bunch of drugs at us but then he'll make the questions super fair he makes it very understanding he tells you what you need to know how you need to know and he does a great job uh, i mean the entire pharmacology department for, for that matter like dr coleus dr dasso um, you know, they, they, they tell you what you need to know from ecology and, and, and that's that, but then micro, and then you're, you're, I guess the transition from like, okay, term four is hard, not because it's a, not because of farm, it's because of micro, but I think micro is just more so of like, I need to know this. This is my job as a doctor. Like I'm going to have patients who are going to eat cold cuts and they're going to come in with gastroenteritis and I'm going to have no idea that it's due to this bug. I might want to rip out their appendix, but in all actuality, it's because they got infected with a bug because they ate cold cuts. And I think that's really important for us to know. So at the end of the day, no matter how hard micro could be, at least studying it, I think it's something that's really relevant for us as doctors, especially when we're in the clinical floor. It's like, I started watching House on uh, HBO Max the other night, uh, and the first episode, the patient had a fungal infection, and the, the fungi is, is commonly in, in, <laughs> in cold cuts, right? So the whole episode, they were trying to figure out what was wrong with the patient, and then House was like, hey, can you go investigate the patient's house? So the, the, the doctor goes to the patient's house, looks through their whole fridge, and he was like, oh, yeah, all she had was ham in the refrigerator. And then Dr. House was like, ham, ham, fungi. That makes sense. This fungi goes to the brain. If we do an x-ray of the lower limbs, I can promise you there's going to be a fungi in the lower limbs. That's where they like to live. Boom, there it was. It took a whole episode and ham to figure out that the patient had this specific disease. Meanwhile, she was deteriorating at such a rapid rate that they were ready to let her go in the episode. I mean, of course, it's drama. But in the episode, they were like, hey, she's just going to die because we don't know what it is. And then Dr. House figured out because it was because of ham. And I think that was perfect timing for me with micro. Like, yeah, micro is hard. It's scary. But I think it's so cool when you know the specifics of it. And then when a patient comes in with specific symptoms or they telling you like, yeah, you know, the other night I had rice. I had Chinese food that was left over for four days. Oh, dude, be serious. You're vomiting. And you have diarrhea. It's because of this bug. And I think that kind of makes it more fruitful to study throughout term four. And I mean, at least more enjoyable as well. Yeah, I mean, it really is the foundations of being a doctor, right? You can't be a doctor and not know micro, not know basic patho, not know farm. You have to know these things. Yeah. So now DERS. Uh, so we're Oof. currently in DERS. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Oof. I think by now I, we could all agree that with DERS, I mean, Quinn and Ralph, I know you guys are in term five, but like us who are in term four, um, we did term three. We had a, what, four day break? And then we jump right into term four. I don't even think we had a break. We had a weekend. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was nothing. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and now we're in term four, and this is it. This is our last block. We're in DERS, digestive, endocrine, and reproductive system. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Exhausted. It makes you into an adult. It, yeah, it I'm, makes, I'm exhausted. Yeah, you grow up after that one. 
Yeah, finally, yeah, that's it. I, I, I've matured. <laughs> you were a little boy before, and then you once you get through Durs. It's part of, it's part of that rolling up process. I will say that um, some of the advice that like some of the upper termers like um, from term fives and people who came before um, that has been the most accurate for term four was that you're going to be almost burnt out. So you really have to, and we all know it's a marathon, but you know, there's no low fuel light, right. For studying like this, you don't really know it's coming. Um, I'm just ready to go home, you know? I, so it's just like, I'm trying to make sure I pay attention to like save future patients from the fact that I was just getting bored and tired. So I think it's very true. Um, that term four is term four is long. It's, it's not harder again. It's just challenging. You're busier. The fact that you go in right from term three is a big change. You're, you're away from home longer. There's some psychological and social issues there that make it a little more taxing. Um, so I would just tell people to, to be ready for that as well, to pace themselves, um, take time off when you can, right. Uh, pick and choose your battles. Um, just make sure you got some gas in the tank. For when you hit here, because I think we're all just xing the days on the calendar, right? And making sure that you don't check out too early when you could have finished strong. Yeah, and I also advocate for, um, in light of speaking positively about term four, there are going to be times where you know you get every question wrong in IMCQ or um, extenuating circumstances go on during a certain block. Like for me, RHS, I love the block. Had a lot going on. Got my worst grade so far in med school on RHS. And I was fine with it because it was like, you know what? That's okay. I'm glad I dealt with these other things instead. Um, they were more important to me. I'm going to kill it in nurse. Like that's kind of the mindset. And I think in term four, that's that's kind of what you need to be willing to do is say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have some hard things, but I can't just sit on them, you know, because we're moving fast. There's a lot going on. It's kind of time to say, you know, I messed up here and I'm going to fix it and I'm going to keep moving because it's, it's, it's a lot going on. Um, and, and you got to be willing to take some time off too, because it's, yeah, it's a marathon. And there's a big difference. You're definitely going to get pushed. I was like, there's a big difference between, you know, falling behind and taking the night off. Right. And again, because you're, you're going to be adjusting to the fact that you have small group every day. We're on the last module and I'm, I'm adjusted, but there's always adjustments that have to be made because there's just certain days that just don't go the way you planned. Um, you're not going to have the time you did in term three and term two. Like, oh, well, I leave lecture and then I do those lectures. And then this is normally when I do this and I have to go see patients now. So some days are not going to go the way you plan. You might be up a little later, but some days if you're tired, you know, take the night off and start strong in the morning. Do not be afraid. So you're not falling behind. Don't be afraid to be flexible in order to keep yourself um, sharp and resilient. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I appreciate that you said that because um, if, if anything, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of student, I'm very hard on myself. Uh, I try to be very oriented with my time and how I utilize my time. And if anything, I take my time very serious. So like this term, I finally realized, okay, if I need to skip lecture and stay in bed <laughs> until 1 p.m., I'm going to do it. Okay. Especially now I'm going to do it. I'm going to sleep in and Hey, I might even skip small group. Okay. And Hey, I might even go order a large pizza and some wings and have a large Coke. And that's okay because I deserve that. I need that mental day and no one's going to judge me for it. I am not going to lose a limb unless I eat be serious. I am not going to, uh, you know, fail or anything. I need that day. I need, I need that day, especially in term four, like transitioning from term three into term four and up to now that you're in Durs, it is, it is a marathon. It's pretty long. We're constantly going from zero to a hundred 
um, especially after every exam. And then we get beelines, you know, like right after RHS was over, I was tired. And the next day, beeline, following day, sim lab, next week, physical exam assessment. And I'm like, I'm going to be honest. I needed to go back and study all the physical exam. I'm like, okay, here we go. I just took RHS. I was at 100 and I coasted at 100 for like two weeks. And now I'm back up to 100 studying for this physical exam assessment, which I don't even know what they're going to throw at me. And now that that's over, we're in DERS and we're getting micro thrown at us left and right. It's like, okay, I got to go back up to 100. So having those days where you can take a day, a day off or a weekend off, I spoke to a friend recently who needed to take a whole week off. They're like, I couldn't look at a lecture. I had to close my laptop. I'm like, no judgment passed. Do what you got to do because at the end of the day, we just have to finish this term. So just, if you need to take a week off, take a week off, but just get back on the horse. And if you need help, I'm here to support you. And I think support is really important, you know? And I think that's us, us doing this, getting together to talk about term four the way that we are. I mean, if any, anybody who listens, like this is it, you know, like um, we're at the point now where we're exhausted, but we can't drop the ball. We have to just finish strong. This is the fourth quarter, as we like to say in football. And there's, it's definitely something that like, I'm looking forward to go home and resting, but you know, what my biggest fear is, and I don't know if you guys will agree on me with this one, or maybe you guys are going to think I'm a psycho after this, but like every day I'm at a hundred with having to study, going to lecture, go to small group, prepare for small group, D-line, whatever, be socially active because you know, you're, you're in Grenada, you're around people all the time. When I go home in December, I think I'm going to get bored. I'm like, I, like, I got nothing to do. I'm going to just lay on the couch all day and watch movies. Like I'm not... I might want to study. I don't know. And I think that's where I'm going to be like, I kind of missed term for, <laughs> you know, just like being in that routine. Yeah, that definitely happens to me. Like you kind of get into this and this, it, it becomes a kind of medicine kind of takes over every aspect of your life to the point where when you're not studying or you're not talking about medicine, you kind of start to realize, wow, there's not much going on without, you know, with me besides medicine. And so I've found that in the past, I've gone on breaks and after like a week, I start to get anxiety because I'm, like, Man, I'm not studying. I feel like I should be studying, even though there's nothing to study. But, you know, it's very important to take breaks. It's, you know, mental health, wellness is very, very, very key to success in medical school, you know, across all terms. You know, if you got to take a week off, if you got to take a night off, that's fine. You know, it'll do you better in the long run because you'll be, you'll be fresh and you'll be able to actually sit down and tackle the, the material. Right after this past last exam, I basically didn't want to do anything until Monday, right? Our exam was on Wednesday. I did absolutely nothing. We had lectures on Thursday. We had lectures on Friday. I didn't do anything until Monday and that's fine. You know, it's necessary. You, you refresh, you kind of come back in strong and you're able to kind of like tackle the material better. Well, you know, everybody wants to, study hard to do well. We all want to be, you know, good doctors. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, think when we compare ourselves to others, which is the most toxic trait, you know, stop doing that. Don't ask. I, I ask Emily all the time with DLA she's on. Right. So don't stop asking which lecture your friends are on. Um, and you know, you're going to be a good doctor. It's it, just, you, you take the weekend off. That doesn't make you an irresponsible doctor. You're not going to treat anybody if you're in, a, in an insane asylum. Right. So you got to, you know, it seems selfish, but what we're doing here is a very selfless endeavor. It has a lot of sacrifice, but you have to be very selfish about it sometimes. Um, sometimes that might mean reaching out more home and ignoring things going on here. Sometimes that might mean shutting out people back home and just having a you day. But it's so important to take a step back and take a breather. Because again, it's the marathon mentality. And if you're always at 100% and you're going full throttle, 
you're going to burn out. So you, that's like the biggest advice from everything we're talking about here. I think with this building, you know, this is about dispelling the, the myths and how to do well in the actual material, but don't forget your actual life too. This is not, this is not everything we are. Don't forget the other parts of you. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're burnt out, don't continue, just take the night off. You'll feel better because if you continue, you'll just, you know, you'll become more frustrated with yourself. 100%. And I think that goes for every term too. Like it's not just, it can't just be term four. I mean, I think term, I mean, I don't know. My opinion might be a little biased because I was online for MS1, um, but the intensity is the same. Like term one intensity, everybody's like, all right, I got to figure out medical school. Term two intensity is like, okay, NB, neuroscience, the whole jazz is coming at us pretty hard. Term three, ethics. It's a whole new vocabulary for everybody. Term four, clinical science. Term five, clinical science. I can't speak much because I'm not in term five yet. But like, that's just like, I don't know. If there's anything that we can crush in this in this session that we spoke about term four is that yeah term four is a bit scary it is a bit hard it's going to take a lot of adjustment but hey that's medical school like you can't sit there and tell me that you didn't go through an adjustment period in term one term two term three with ethics and then term five having to go to the hospital and then clinical years having to be in the actual hospital and seeing patients while studying for step two and then residency like it's all going to be an adjustment period so term four is uh, we should get get rid of the negative culture. There's there's it's, it's not as scary as you think. Um, obviously, we touched on micro, farm, and path with all the sub with every system that you cover. Um, micro, farm, and path are probably the highest yield tested subjects on step one, as of now at least that I think. And like they all just take an adjustment period. You just have to adjust, and I think that's the challenge. The challenge is not term four. The challenge is not the material nor the professors, nor SGU, nor living in Grenada. The challenge is how well you can adjust while maintaining your mental health. And I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't talk about mental health, but I could say that if you need a day off, take the day off and then just get back to it. And you know, in addition to like taking time for yourself, you know, take a step back and be proud of yourself. I mean, clinical years are supposed to be, um, it was very emotional when I, when I did my first beeline. Um, and even when we did our first aspect in term one, like appreciate the small, realizations of what you're doing and take it as a self-affirmating, a self-actualizing, a validation moment that you're on the way, right? Um, there's not arrogance in that. It's that, you know, it's such a privilege and an honor to treat these patients, even if they're standardized. Um, just to share a quick quote that I love, um, it's from the youngest, it's called the book, it's called The Youngest Science by Dr. Lewis Thomas, super recommended if you ever want to check it out. Autobiography about the guy being a doctor. Um, and he said that ever since the invention of the stethoscope, we've moved further and further away from patients and we've sacrificed the human connection in exchange for accuracy, right? Um, so the, it's such an honor to have these beelines, to have the physical exam, the, the human contact, the human touch that I don't think will ever leave medicine. Um, the way I, it makes me feel good that I'll be able to pay off my debts because I don't think robots are going to replace us anytime soon, right? So term four is the first time that we get to experience that. So, you know, stand up to it with pride. It's going to be challenging, but nothing worth doing is easy. And um, be proud of yourself. You know, it's an exciting time for clinical years. I'm very excited to be in term four. Yeah. And um, so if we can all give one last piece of advice, uh, I would say, look, I'm having the time of my life. I love this. This is, to me, this is awesome. Like learning clinical science, especially from farm path and micro and being able to actually apply it clinically and discuss this with my friends like hey i think this is this disease 
this is why it's this disease this is the bug that likely causes it or this is the ideology that causes it this is the drug we use to fix it this, these are the contraindications like this stuff is cool i love it like yeah it's hard i'm tired i'm hungry i, I miss my actual bed i want to go home but at the same time like i'm having a i'm thriving i'm having a good time this is fun and if this if term four is making me realize what being a doctor is like then hey i'm in the right spot i'm, I'm supposed to be here because now when i move on to term five and it's a clinical years i'm going to thrive and term four opened my eyes like, yeah, it hit me hard. It dropped me to my knees. It made me get every single question wrong in MCQ. But now I'm at a point where I'm loving this. So term four might be that for you. So despite what anybody may say about it being hard and that everybody fails, hey, man, do you want to be a doctor? Because you're here. This is it. <laughs> you know, one of the things that keeps me going when times are rough is I like to think back two, three, four years ago. I always dreamed about being in the exact position that I'm in. And that keeps me going. Yeah, I was going to say um, something that I always try to remind myself is like why why we're here at the end of the day. Because like when you're buried in textbooks and in iPads and everything like that, just learning facts, it it's hard to remember like what, what are you doing for this for at the end of the day? And I think that's something in term four that I've realized for the first time, or like it's helped remind me is we're here for the patients and like being able to do the beelines and stuff like that has really put it back in that like clinical aspect and like reminds us why we're here. And I think even though it, it might get the rep as the hardest, it's honestly the most rewarding so far. Um, All right. Um, yeah, you can go ahead. Yeah, uh, I guess for my last little piece of advice, um, I think Kevin and I were talking on our way one morning to class. And I think the thing I keep saying is we learn all of these things about how to take care of yourself and, and um, how to be healthy. But I'm curious how many med students actually believe them. The biggest one is, you know, do you actually believe that you'll retain more information if you get a good night's sleep? Because we learn in MB that you will, um, but no one does it. And I think there's a lot of ways in which, you know, do you believe that you'll be less tired and be able to study longer if you drink more water instead of coffee? You know that you will, but you don't believe it. Um, so I think my encouragement would be, you know, a lot and uh, you should believe in what you know, and um, it'll make you more confident. And it also encourage you to have um, some healthier habits that might uh, keep you going a little bit longer than you thought you could go. Nice. Gwen, Ralph, and any last piece of advice? One thing? Yeah. Go ahead, Ralph. Oh. You got it. Okay. So my dad would always tell me this. Um, he was like, what do you call a medical student with a C? A doctor. So at the end of the day, grades, they're important. Like it's important to pass, but at the end of the, the, the day, as long as you pass, you're still going to be a doctor. Um, there's a lot of emphasis on grades and all that, but being here is an accomplishment of itself. You got through three terms and I mean, like you're still going, you know, so that's kind of my whole thing. I would say looking back as a term five on my way out and, uh, what term four was like, I really emphasize that no matter what you think your experience is going to be, just do your best. I mean, you're going to hear a lot of noise and you're going to have a lot of opinions, even 
probably some internal noise and opinions, but just do your best. And it's going to pay off not only in your practice and your clinical years, but even in the shortcoming, there's some immediate gratification because once you get to term five, I'm sorry to say it all comes back. You know, you just start right back from the beginning again. Once you hit that second exam, you go right back to cardio, you see renal again, um, and they even incorporate stuff in terms one and two. So this stuff is never going away. You know, this is to everyone who's listening to this and they're like me. They learn it in the moment, and then once the test is done, they just purge it. But, you know, we have to remember this stuff. Try your best to keep it in your brain. Try your best to keep it pushing. And uh, I guess my last closing piece of advice is enjoy the people around you because the company is what keeps you going. They're definitely the fuel to that that car. So, yeah, enjoy those smiley faces. Um, I guess my final would be, um, you know, this one goes out to people maybe that their grade isn't where they want it to be, um, people who are CRing or maybe have already CR, people who are teetering uh, mentally, academically, physically, uh, no matter what it may be. Uh, one, the cliche, you know, the five, the, the year, the you five years ago is proud of you, right? And the other thing that I always keep in mind for myself and tell other people that uh, the point of life is chasing a dream, right? And if you have a dream and you have a passion and a mission, as long as you understand that it may not go exactly the way you think it will, you're going to find pleasure and fulfillment after, through chasing that dream. And if not, then what's the point of living at all? So just put your boot on, put the other boot on and keep marching forward. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. Um, obviously we can sit here and talk about term four forever, but I think we covered a decent amount in terms of the expectations of term four, the big three and how all of us have approached it. Um, hopefully we broke some myths and we've given some insight to it. Um, but yeah, that's term four. Uh, it's not as scary as you think. It's, it's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for sitting in and chatting with us. And uh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, right? Yeah, that was fun. And we can go all night with turn four, but you know, that's, I think that's well, the best. Get me we can started with turn five. Oh, well, that's, you're going to have <laughs> the next episode. That's another oh, time. Yeah, that's another time. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. We can even, hey, we can even talk about turn four. I mean, depending on what, how people feel, we can, we could do a specific like FTCM episode, maybe. I don't know, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think that, I think superficially, and yeah, we went deep in some, into some topics of turn four, but that's turn four in a nutshell. It is. It is it, but now we get a month off. We got to finish strong with theirs. And then like Quinn said, back to the shit, come in turn five. <laughs> right back to it, right back to it. Yeah, right back to it. Um, yeah, so that's a wrap. We're gonna wrap it up now. Uh, thank you guys for uh, helping us talk about turn four. And it was a pleasure having every single one of you here.